Very cool. That's uh, so awesome. Thank you so much for supporting these uh, programs that we run at church and uh, just changing lives and uh, having the opportunity to be an influence in our society. It's pretty amazing. Uh, yesterday, Chris gave me a call, uh, Pastor Chris, and uh, he mentioned that he was going to be emceeing this morning. And I got quite excited. I said, well, that's fantastic. He's emceeing. I'm preaching. We've got Rob uh, back in the worship team. We've got the A team back, um, which is uh, fantastic. But uh, uh, I, whenever Chris um, is, is emceeing, I'm a little nervous about him introducing me. Uh, a number of years ago, about 12, 13 years ago, I went to preach in our city church uh, in, um, in Cook Street. And at the time, Chris was working. He was on staff. He was a pastor at the city church. And uh, he was emceeing and he introduced me and he, he was very kind and said, uh, you know, I'd just like to welcome Pastor Tim Simons. He's going to be sharing with us, you know, the Word of God today. Tim's uh, an awesome guy, all that sort of, uh, you know, truthful stuff. And then uh, he said, uh, and, and Pastor Tim has a real passion for men. <laughs> and um, so anyway, I went up to the front and I said, I'd just like to clarify something that Chris mentioned. Um, I have a real passion for men's ministry, um, and uh, uh, the church um, it didn't really like us in those days, and everyone just sat, looked at me and was like, can you get on with your sermon, please? Um, anyway, but at, uh, I, I do have a passion for Jesus. He's one of the few men that I have a passion for, but um, uh, I, I do have a, a desire to see men become everything that God has destined to design them to be. And, you know, I really believe that we play a, a fundamental role in society and in our families and in, uh, in the jobs and our workplaces. And so it is one of my passions to see men uh, stepping into their destiny and the calling with God. But I also want to mention that my passion is reserved for my wife. And, uh, and uh, that's enough for me. She's just, uh, you know, just one person more than enough to take up all my passion. Anyway, let's not go there. Let's move on to the sermon. It's getting a bit awkward, yeah. Okay, uh, I've been a believer of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, for many years. I was fortunate to be born into a Christian home, and so for the last 59 years, <laughs> sorry, it was getting weird. Uh, uh, the last 59, last 59 years uh, of my life, I, I've been in all sorts of churches. I've been in very large churches, very small churches. I've been in great churches, average churches, uh, and not so average churches. Uh, I, I, you know, experienced so many things, and. Uh, and, and seeing what's happened in the church. And, you know, I'm just so excited what has actually happened in the church of God. Uh, I don't think the church has ever been as well res resourced uh, as we are at this time. We, you know, we've got fantastic buildings. We've got incredible worship team. Well, it was in that worship, amazing. We've got incredible worship team, singers, musicians. We've got the strobe lights. We've got the smoke machines. We've got everything in church to create the atmosphere for us to connect with God. And it's awesome. Uh, we have amazing talent and ability with the people in the church. You sitting here today, we have uh, doctors and uh, uh, my dentist is here as well. Uh, greatest of me are lawyers and teachers and bankers, entrepreneurs, uh, company directors, even millionaires that we have in the church. You know, when you look back at the church 30, 40, 50 years ago when I was growing up, we would have... You know, to have someone with a degree would have been amazing in church. And, and just to see what the, the resources, the intellectual, the human, and the financial resources we have in church today is quite phenomenal. And I think we are deeply placed to make an impact in our, in our country and in the nations of the world. But you know, when I look back at the early church, the first hundred years of the church, uh, and after Jesus left, 
it was quite incredible. They had this group of people that started from 120 people in the upper room who went out. And those 120 people went and transformed society. They absolutely transformed the world to the point that, that today we've had billions of people literally over the centuries who have come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. The message that they preached was so powerful at the time, and there was so much uh, energy of which they had at the time. And yet they didn't have a church because they were an outlawed organization. They were up against probably one of the most oppressive political uh, regimes there was at the time who were slaughtering Christians. It was a church, uh, there was a, a, a religious order at the time that opposed what they wanted to do. They were against a Babylonian culture that was a prevailing at the time. And yet they had this incredible impact in the world. And, you know, when I look at all we have in the church today, I wonder how we're performing relative to that early church. And dare I say that we're performing quite poorly. I think that we're performing quite poorly, particularly in the Western world, in terms of transforming culture, transforming our society, transforming the world that we live in. And maybe it's time for a performance appraisal as to how we're doing. Some of you may work for companies and corporations where you have an annual performance appraisal. I know some people don't like them, some people like them. The people who are performing like them, the people who don't perform them don't like them. But you know, it's a biblical concept. We actually read it about in the Bible, and I'm going to read from it, and it's in your, in your notes there, the scriptures here, it's a story of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verse 14, I'm going to read it all, uh, if you'll just bear with me for the moment. It starts off in verse 14, it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man. We're talking about this is how the kingdom of heaven operates, okay? This is how the kingdom that we are part of, we are sons and daughters of the living God, we are princes and princesses in the kingdom of God, and so this is how our lives and the kingdom of God operates. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he, he, had received, he, he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also, but he who had received one went and dug in, dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants came back and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. The Lord answered him and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to he who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The ultimate performance appraisal. The ultimate performance appraisal. You know, it's interesting for me that when Jesus assembled his team 
of his 12 followers that were going to transform society. There was, it was going to do something that was quite incredible that, to the point where history is divided into before Christ and after Christ and do something that, that was never seen before. When Jesus got his people aside, first of all, he didn't go for the intellectuals. He didn't go for the top performers. He pulled people aside and he didn't get them to say, well, look, I'm going to have this mission. So first of all, you've got to clean up your act. You've got to pray a prayer of, of salvation. And then, and then what you do is you need to stop smoking, stop drinking, stop uh, swearing. Uh, you need to sort of stop doing this, stop doing Go to Bible school for four or five years. Uh, and then you'll be prepared to join me on this incredible mission to go and change the world. He didn't even promise them great things. He didn't say, hey, listen, if you come with me, life will be great. I'll sort out your, your marriage issues. I'll sort out your uh, financial issues. I'll sort out your health issues. It got, Jesus didn't offer them anything. What did Jesus do? He gave them a compelling vision and a mission. He said, guys, you are fishers. You're fishing for fish, and you're going to feed someone for one meal, and that's great, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to transform and take your, what you're using at the moment and your abilities and your strength. And when I add it to, when I come alongside you, you're going to be a far greater influence in the world. Things are going to transform and things are going to change. And you know, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I think and that God is less concerned about us fulfilling a life or living a life that is sinless and perfect and preparing ourselves so that we're comfortable enough before we go to, be, to, be, to go to heaven. That he's less worried and less concerned about us, and that is actually not the purpose that we're on earth for, just to live a sinless life and go to heaven. But the reason why we're on earth for is to fulfill the calling and the destiny and the assignment that God has given each one of us. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And if you look at the early church, that's exactly what they did. They had their assignment. They gave up everything for the assignment that God had for them. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's that about? We all call out to God, Lord, Lord. He's saying, no, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Only those who do the will of my Father. What is the will of the Father? I believe it's encapsulated in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus said, we need to pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. You see, the will of the Father is to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. That is God's will. And so our purpose and our destiny on this earth as followers of Jesus Christ is not to live a sinless life and to enter, get to heaven one day. The purpose that we are on this life, the reason we are on the world today is to fulfill what God desires and that is to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. That is our assignment. That is what we are here for. And you know, sometimes I think in the, we can get a little confused between uh, our Christian lifestyle and our God assignment. We think that God's assignment is to live this perfect life. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to live a life without sin and, 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 and do the right things. But ultimately, that is not actually what we're going to be judged on. That's not what the final assessment is going to be based on. And if, you know, I, I heard it once described as uh, the difference between the two is almost like an employment contract. Let's say you were employed as a salesperson or sales manager 
at the warehouse group. And when you turn up on the first day, you'll get two documents. Your first document will be your performance standards. Your, uh, sorry, not your performance, your, um, will, will be your behaviour standards. The warehouse behaviour standards will tell you what sort of clothes you need to wear, how, when you need to turn up for work, that you're not supposed to abuse your fellow workers, you need to treat, to treat the clients, the customers nicely, uh, you, know, you know, don't turn up for work drunk, all those sort of behaviour standards which are important to the job, but then you'll get a second agreement which will be your job description. And that will describe what you need to do to perform. That will be your, your role, that will be your assignment while you're working as a salesperson or sales manager at the warehouse. And so what happens when you come to your, uh, uh, at the end of the year, you come to your performance appraisal, your boss will sit down and he won't say to you, how many times did you turn up for work late? He won't say to you, why, how did you get on with your fellow colleagues? He won't necessarily say, did you iron your shirt every day? Did you, uh, you know, take a, a, a longer lunchtime when, when you shouldn't have? He's not going to actually ask you those questions. He's going to say, how did you perform relative to your targets, to your budget, to your assignment? And you know, if I look at the scripture in this story, uh, this is exactly the same as what this rich man did, this wealthy man did. When he came back, he didn't ask the people, you know, how did you perform? Did you turn up for late, late for work? Did you do this? Did you wear the right clothes? Did you do whatever? What he was interested in is, did you perform your assignment? Did you fulfill what I, the, the task that I gave you? Did you do what I told you to do, which was to multiply the talents which I was given to you? You know, and I believe we're going to stand before God one day, and I don't think God's going to have like a life insurance uh, application document that says, you know, how many cigarettes did you smoke a, a day? How many uh, drinks do you have a, a week? Um, you know, have, you know, have, um, you know, have you, you know, have you, have you behaved yourself in, in your life? How often did you lose your temper? How many times did you want to murder your wife? Um, you know, how often did you go to church? Um, not, not, not those, not that I ever wanted to murder my wife, of course. I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm in men's ministry. I, I hear what your men tell me. Um, <laughs> God's not going to ask those questions. I really believe God's going to ask us one question. What did you do with the talents I gave you? What did you do with the gifts I gave you? What did you do with the assignment that I had for you? What are we going to do? What are we going to say? Did we multiply them? Did we apply them? Did we use them for the extension of God's kingdom? Or did we bury them in the ground and not utilize them for His glory and for the extension of His kingdom? You see, the success of the early church was their total commitment to use everything they had possible for the extension of the kingdom of God. They didn't have amazing church services. They weren't allowed. They went, I know they used to go to the temple, but really the temple wasn't the type of church service that they were wanting to use and wanting to be involved in because the religious system at that time was in fact against them. They, uh, they didn't have the, the resources that we have today. They don't have the, the incredible uh, 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 finances or, or abilities that we have today, yet they transform society. Why? Because each one of them were committed to their assignment with God. Each one of them were willing to sacrifice everything, realizing that just living a good life and waiting to get to heaven 
and just making sure that we're trying to do everything in life to make our lives as comfortable as possible here on earth before we get to heaven is not the reason why we are here. The reason why we're here is to reach, serve, influence, touch the lives of people around us. Every one of us have been given a God-given gift. We all have a talent. We have a built-in superpower like the guardians of the galaxies and, you know, they're, they're ordinary beings, but we have a supernatural power that's flowing through us. And I believe that if we tap into that, and as it's unleashed through our lives, we can bring freedom and, to the oppressed and we can overcome the power of uh, the enemy and evil in our world. You see, each one of us has been made in the image of God. And that means when people see us, they should see God. We should be reflecting the nature and the personality of God because we're made in the image of God. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Folks, you have weapons of warfare that can overcome the enemy in this world. The Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. The same power lives inside of us. We can unleash that power wherever we go and whatever we do. It doesn't matter who we are, but it's the power of God inside of us. We have the keys of the kingdom. Whatever we bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Folks, it's at our disposable. It's inside of us. It's inside of you. We cannot be ordinary. It's impossible to have those resources and to be ordinary. We can't just live an average life just going about doing our stuff, making money and dying, going to heaven. There's so much more I really believe God has for us. You know, you may think that, well, I don't have the knowledge and skills and abilities and influence and the money to be able to do that. Well, welcome to the club. Virtually everyone in the Bible who did great things for God didn't have those things. Virtually every one of them. If you look at Moses, one of the greatest leaders that have ever walked the face of the earth, he was a stutterer with anger issues, a murderer. Gideon was the least in his family. His family was the least in his nation. But when God spoke and called out the mighty warrior inside of him, he stood up and he led his nation into victory and warfare. King David was a shepherd. Daniel was an administrator. You administrate, you think, oh, I've got a boring job, I'm an administrator, I don't, can't do anything. No ways. God can use you to change society. Rahab was a prostitute. Um, yeah. Um, Joel was a housewife with a, a really sharp tent peg. Read the story, it's a cool one. Ruth was a homeless widow. Peter was a, a, a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. Ordinary people that God transformed their lives when they put it in, their, in his hands and change their lives. And even in this church, I know that there's people that are doing amazing things. My good friend, George Patterson, works for a, in the wine industry. And a few years ago, he started a prayer meeting on Monday mornings at his work with a little bit of fear and trepidation. And over the last couple of years, we've seen lives transformed, changed, marriages restored and healed. People get saved through this prayer meeting and his job. And I was in Botany the other day, and I could just, I was walking along, and I just heard this voice, and it it was like, oh, who's that? I know that. I recognize that voice. And it was Kerry Finlay. She's in our church, and she was running some kind of uh, um, uh, you know, exhibition for clothes and whatnot. And she, her voice was permeating the hold of botany. And she had, you could have sensed the presence of God there. She was operating her gifting and her talent. My brother-in-law, Charles Beats, um, he uh, resigned from 15 years as a banker with ANZ. And he now works with young kids under the, who are criminals under the age of 12 criminals under the age of 12 who are in, like in a detention center and he's working with them, being so fulfilled in that. Simon Greening, a lawyer in our church who's I caught up with Simon a couple, about a month or so ago and what an amazing man who has got such a heart for taking and helping people and reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ordinary people, you may be 
an ordinary person, a teacher, an administrator, a salesperson, a, di a director, a doctor, a homemaker, whatever you may be, God can take you. And who knows what God can do through your life. And I guess the important part of this is how do we know what our assignment is? How do we know? Maybe some of you will say, I'd love to, Tim. I'd love to do this, but I don't know. You know, I think the key to finding out an assignment is to get in intimacy with God, intimacy with the Father. If you look at Jesus, Jesus said that I've come to do one thing and one thing only, to do the will of my Father. How did he know the will of the Father? He spent 40 days alone with his dad in the desert, getting a download of his destiny. Before he stepped out and did a single miracle, before he did anything, at the age of 30, he spent those 30, 40 days in the wilderness, in the 40 days in the desert with just his dad getting a download. We know that whenever he was ministering, he'd go alone from time to time to check on his assignment, check on, make sure that he was fulfilling the destiny that God had for him. Folks, I really want to encourage you to get into an intimacy with the Father. In Psalm 23, it's an amazing psalm. You could preach a thousand sermons out of Psalm 23 alone. But there's an amazing scripture in verse 5. It says, David writes, he says, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I really believe God is calling us to sit down and have a meal with him. God has prepared a table for us. And yes, there'll be enemies that'll try and distract us and take us away from our destiny and try and uh, pull us away from what God is saying to us. But I believe that God wants to have some intimate moments with you and I. We love having people at our home and having a lot of you know, sort of a great time with people and everyone talks and everyone doesn't, nobody listens to each other and we have, it's all, it's all great when we have a lot of people at home but, you know, there's not a lot of intimacy happening. Intimacy happens when I want to spend time with my wife and we want to speak into each other's life or when I want to talk to my boys or, or a friend or, or a business colleague. What I do is I take them alone to a place for coffee and we speak into each other's lives and it's the same with God and I really believe God is calling us to have a meal with him. And actually having communion with him is a pretty cool thing to do. And just allow him to share his heart with us, to share his word with us, to, that we can understand where God wants us to go and what he wants us to do. And the cool thing about the scripture, it goes on to say, as we do that, as we spend time of intimacy with the Father, Psalm 23 goes on to say that he will anoint our heads with oil. The anointing of the Holy Spirit will come upon us. And it'll change our minds and renew our minds and we'll be, our minds will be open to the things that God has for us and open to the destiny that God has for us and the plans and purposes as we anoint our head with oil. The Bible goes on to say that a, a cup will overflow. What does that mean? Why would a cup overflow? Well, you see, I can't be a blessing to others if I'm empty. I can't give if I've got nothing to give, but God will fill us with his anointing, fill up with his power, fill us with his knowledge, his wisdom, with everything we need so they can overflow and to reach the people around us. We will become a collateral blessing on others as God's anointing falls through us and fills us up and our cups will overflow to be able to bless others because you see, life's not about us anyway. It's about others. You know, we're going to be judged not on what we do for ourselves in this world, but what we do for, other, for him and for other people. That's what it's all about. Finally, it says God's goodness and unfailing love will pursue us every day of our lives. You see, when we come into intimacy with God, we don't need to chase after God's blessing. We don't need to be praying, God, bless me, please. I want your grace. I want your favor. It'll automatically chase after us. It'll come chasing after us. That's what the... It happens when we have the intimacy with God and we allow God to download his assignment in our lives. 
Guys, can the worship team come up? And as they come up, I just want to leave you with, I normally finish off with a scripture when I preach, but I just felt God had placed this, dropped this in my heart, and I know it's a secular portion, but I think it's really appropriate for today. And it was, it's a speech made by Theodore, Theodore Roosevelt back in 2010. I think he made it in France at the time. Sorry, 1910, not 2010, 1910. And um, yeah, he wasn't reincarnated. But, um, and this is what it says. You can follow in your notes if you want to. It says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. It's called the tall poppy syndrome. The credit belongs to the man or the woman who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who is, who comes up short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. In our church, people of God, the establishment of the kingdom of God at this time and this moment in history is on our shoulders. We are plan A and there is no plan B. There's no cavalry coming. There's no 10 million angels coming to transform the world. It's you and I that have been called to transform this world. And when I look at the early church and what they did, then that's what they did. I think that we need a bit of a performance appraisal as to how we're doing. How we're doing to transform the world and society to bring the kingdom of God into our world. We're not gonna do that unless we know what our assignment is and we have our intimacy with God. I really wanna encourage you to step out in faith Spend some time with the Father. Take a, take a leap of faith and say, God, show me what your assignment is. Teach me what your assignment is. And never forget that you are sons and daughters of the living God. You are prince and princesses to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are mighty men and women of, 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 of destiny and of influence. And so I encourage you to stir up those superpower gifts inside of you. Stir them up. Take up your weapons of warfare, grab hold of the keys of the kingdom and let us go and establish the kingdom of God wherever we go and whatever we do. Remember, I've said it a few times that we're not here on earth just to live a good life and go to heaven and leave some mansions for our kids. That's not what it's about. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not what it's about. It's about establishing the kingdom of God here on earth. And you know what? We sang that awesome song that God is the way maker and he is the way maker, but it's up to us to walk in the way. He won't force us, but when we walk in the way, we will see the miracle maker. It's when we walk in the way that he has made for us and he has a way for each one of us. And then we'll see the power of God demonstrated. And finally, when we come face to face with our father one day, I don't know about you, but I wanna hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God. You've got a plan and purpose and destiny for each one of our lives. Father, I pray that you help us to stir up the gifts inside of us to reach and, and do and accomplish, Lord, the things that you call us to do. 
Father, Lord, we just put ourselves in your hands and we trust you to lead us and guide us to be all that you've destined us to be in the name of Jesus. Amen.